Everybody say defining moment. You know, if I were to sit with you and I were to say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you in 30 minutes to tell me your life story. And some of y'all, I know you well enough, you can't say your name in 30 minutes. But some of you would say, real quick, in your mind, you say, okay, 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 okay. And you would trace it down to what, what I would call defining moments. I, I read a book a, a while back, highly recommended. It. It's called uh, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. And what they say is that, you know, it, our lives are made up of a series of what we would call defining moments. I made this decision. I met this person. I read this book. I was in this right place at the right time. And, and so there would be defining moments that we would summarize our life with. We couldn't tell you everything about our life, but we could, we could pick out these defining moments. Are you with me? So one of the defining moments of history is found in Genesis chapter 12. Now, I know you're saying, Pastor Ken, all the Bible's important. Yes, but some of it's more important than others. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. That's true, but it's not all equally applicable. So you and I need to be able to pick out the defining moments. And so Genesis chapter 12 is one of those defining moments. So will you do me a favor because you're going to be setting for the next few minutes. Would you stand with me one more time? And we're going to read Genesis chapter 12, verse uh, 1 through 9. Let's all read it out loud with your best projection voice. <clears throat> The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Ooh, you guys sound good reading the word of God. Woo, all right. You can be seated right where you're at. Let me talk to you uh, uh, just so to, to give you some clarity. Um, the, you know, I'm going to kind of try to drop a pin right here in this, uh, this moment. Okay, so uh, I'm going uh, uh, to trip up and I'm going to use the word Abraham because Abraham's what we're usually used to hearing when we say, well, who's this guy, Abram? Is that a different guy? No, it's the same guy. But uh, later on in Abram's story, he has an encounter with God whereby God changes his name. And uh, so this is before the name change, but it is, it is the same individual, right? Uh, what's interesting about that story is that it is when Abram encounters the Lord and God makes a covenant with him, God takes one of the, uh, a couple of the syllables from his name and adds part of his name to Abram's name. 
and expands his name to Abraham. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, we're used to name changes in our culture when a couple gets married and, and the wife might take the, the man's uh, uh, last name and the name gets added. Well, Abram's name gets changed to Abraham because he is now Abram in covenant with God. He is in covenant with Elohim. And so his name gets changed and expanded. So uh, I, I just had to share that with you. So I give myself an out because I'm going to say Abraham and you're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, who's he talking about? Same guy. Okay, so what I want you to see is that Abram is considered to be, he is what the Bible calls the father of faith. He is the father of faith. Uh, there were people that believed in God before. There was Noah, right? There was Adam. Adam and Eve obviously believed in God. There were people before Abram, but Abram is the father of faith. And we're gonna talk today about why that's important. And we're gonna talk today about how that applies to us here. Uh, but here's the thing I want you to understand in regards to why the scripture would say, why is Abram the father of faith? Well, faith, the Bible says, is the substance of things, what? Hoped for, the evidence of things, not what? If you, it, you know, the opposite of faith is sight. If you see it, you don't have to have faith for it. When you have a visual on it, you don't have to have faith anymore. Oh, there it is. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to have faith. I don't have to believe God. But Abram lived in a time where there were no church steeples. There was no Billy Graham. There was no world literature crusade. Uh, there, you know, Abraham, Abram lived in a time when there was no, can you believe this, no K-love. How did Abram know that it was going to be a positive, encouraging message if there was no K-love? You know, I'm just joking. You know, but you understand, uh, Abram didn't have all the underpinnings that you and I have. We have to pass by, uh, you know, television stations that that uh, that Christianity is on. We have to pass by if we want to. If we how many how many uh, Christian radio stations do we pass by? How many uh, uh, internet websites are there today that have something to do with uh, faith, something to do with the gospel? But Abram didn't have any of that. Abram didn't have a church steeple. Abram didn't have stained glass. Abram didn't have any of that. He had an encounter with the living God. And this is what God, this is what the living God told him to do. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. All he had was a voice. All he had was this encounter with this being that uh, nobody could tell him anything about. Can you imagine what that must have been like? There wasn't anybody he could, he, you know, he talking to his wife. She's like, what are you talking about? You talk to a voice. Abram, you're hearing voices. What's that? You know, and so Abram, he takes what he understands from this voice and he steps out in obedience to it. Now, another thing that I want to help you understand is that the, the patriarch, what we call the patriarchs, the people before the cross. Here, let me, let me see if I can figure this out. Okay, so over here you've got Adam in Genesis. Over here you've got John in the book of Revelation, right? Are you with me? And, uh, well, I don't like that view. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, it's kind of it's kind of right there. Yeah, let me cover that up. So, so 
You've got Adam over here, you've got uh, in Genesis, so you've got the book of Revelation, and right here we'll call in the middle, even though timeline, I don't know how the timeline works out, but right in the middle you have the cross, right? Now, we are 2,000 years past the cross, and what we, what we do in order to believe God or believe in God or to follow the revelation that God is giving us is that we have 66 books here, and all of these verses combined, when you pull it all together, it gives us faith in the living God and tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. And so this is 2,000 years after the fact, but we take everything that we can understand about God and we put our trust in it because it's already been done. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. That means it was done. And so now it's not resting on our works. Now it's resting on what Jesus did. All of our faith rests on what was accomplished on, his, on, you know, on our behalf from him. But Abram lived in a different day. You know, Abram had a credit card called faith. He had to charge it. Because he didn't have, he didn't have what we, you and I have. He didn't have 66 books. He didn't have history of Christ. Christ had not come yet. So when Abram finds himself in this spot, he charges it. When God says, when God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, what does Abram do? He pulls out his faith card and he charges it. One day there will be a ram. One day God himself will provide a lamb. One day God will take care of it. And he charged his faith. He looked forward to Christ when you and I look backward. Are you tracking with me? But can you see how much more difficult it was in Abram's day? Without 66 books, without a 10 a.m. service at Lighthouse, how much harder it could be to walk in faith. Abram's the father of it. Faith comes from this guy who says, when he hears the voice, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. So Abram does these three things, and I want to talk to you about what this means for us today because there are principles from Abram's life that, that if we distill it, we take a hold of it, we can actually walk in the faith that Abram walked in in our lives today because these things are not so far off. We have to, we have to understand that he's leave, go, and I will show. Just say that out loud. Leave, go, and I will show. Leave, go, and I will show. Okay, so one of the things that, uh, that Abram understood was that God was calling him out to do something new in his life. God was calling him out to establish an, a new nation, a new people that was, that was not connected to his family of origin. And so when Abram goes out, he sets out, he takes everything that belongs to him, everything that he influences, everything that he could call his own, and he begins to go on this journey, leave and go, leave and go. How many of you like it to just go driving around when you don't know where you're going? How many of you like to get lost in a city somewhere and just drive around and end up in the wrong side of town? Oh, that's not always the best idea. You know, leave and go, leave and go. And so God tells Abram, leave and go. And I will show you what I am going to do. One of the things I want you to uh, call your attention to, God says, I will show you, I will make you into a great, excuse me, a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. God is taking all the responsibility for what he wants to do and he's placing it on himself. 
And all he tells Abram to do is leave and go. And I will show you. He has decided, God has decided he wanted to do something that was so amazing, the world had never seen anything like it. And so in order to inherit this, Abram, you're going to have to leave where you're at, and you're going to have to go and let me show you what I want to do. Now, uh, church, can I just tell you that this has huge ramifications for individuals. This has even greater ramifications for families. This has even exponential Implications for churches. You see, God chooses to have his name among a people of faith who are continuing this pattern of leaving who they were, going toward the thing that he says they can be, and watching him work at the cutting edge of what he wants to do in the world. Can I tell you that the things that God wants to do through your life, if you, could just, if you could just get a snapshot of it, it would blow your mind, probably scare you to death, and you'd probably ne never leave your recliner. But he doesn't lay it all out for us in one, in one shot. He says, leave. Leave your comfort zone. Leave the thing that's familiar. Leave behind what it is that, uh, that is, has been, you, you say it's all comfy and cozy, but God sees it as a trap. God sees it as a prison. God sees it as a hindrance to the thing that he wants to bring you into. And you're afraid to leave it. You're afraid to leave it behind because, oh, I might be missing something. And so, you know, we want to carry, carry everything with us, but God says, leave it. Everything Abram had, his, his father's house, his country, everything about it, he said, leave it behind. You can't move into the thing that God has for you unless you first leave behind your past. You got to leave behind the things that were, that were part of who you were. Well, if I, if I leave that behind, I'll, I'll, I'll be less something. I'll, I'll be something less. No, you could, see, in God's math, you could actually be something quite a bit more. Right? And so uh, notice here that God leads, leads uh, Abram out of Ur. He leaves everything that he has. And uh, in, in the, in the two things that Abram desired, and God speaks to him in, this, in the midst of this, there were two promises that related to uh, Abram, Abraham. Uh, he's going to give him land, and he's going to give him kids. Now, at this point, um, you know, Isaac and Ishmael are not even thoughts in Abram's mind. God doesn't even, God says offspring to your offspring. And the reality is that it's probably, uh, it's probably somewhere beyond 500 years before the, the, the children of Abraham, actually the children of Israel, actually walk in under Joshua's leadership into the promised land. That, but Abram saw it over 500 years ahead of time and he claimed it for, him, for his children. He lived in obedience for, for children and faces that he was never going to see. He lived in obedience for a time and a day that he was never going to experience. And that's why God calls him the father of faith. So land and kids, if you think about it, this is eternity in a person's life. Uh, where, my, my inheritance, this was an issue that, you know, uh, God, God and Abraham work out at one point. He says, God, what can you give me? Because I have a servant who's going to become my heir. And God corrects him and says, no, it's not going to be your servant. You've got this inheritance you're going to pass on, but it's not going to go through your servant. It's going to go through your son. 
And he, he begins to talk to him about this inheritance. But in a person before, without, without these 66 books that you and I can understand that we live in a universe that's been separated and there is a heaven and there is an earth and there is a place under the earth called hell. And all of these things together, all those di dimensions are found in the scriptures, but Abram doesn't have this at this point. So his idea of living forever is land and kids, land and kids. Land and kids, right? The, the inheritance that he's going to pass on, his eternity was connected to his kids. What evidence is there that I've been on the planet? Well, I have some children. My stuff may pass off into others' hands, but my children carry the DNA, right? So land and kids. So God's word to Abram was leave, go, and I will show. Romans 4, 16 says, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Say that with me. He is the father of us all. Now, what Paul is doing in Romans 4 is he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's saying, you know, we know that the Mosaic law came through Moses, and Moses came through Abraham, so if you trace the lineage on the Jewish side all the way back, you can go all the way back to Abraham. But Paul says there's another way that you can look at this. If we are people of faith today, if we are people that are trusting in Jesus Christ, then we are people who are of the, the children, we are the children of Abraham as well, because Abraham Abraham was a man of faith, and his faith resulted in what you and I see here today. You see, if there's no Abraham and there's no obedience for Abraham leaving how many thousands of years ago, there's no lighthouse. There's no place to meet on Sunday morning at, at 10 a.m. There's no cookout, right, as soon as we're done. Oh. But Abraham wouldn't have understood. All he would have understood was God was asking him to leave and to go, and I will show you. Leave and go, and I will show you. And the promise echoes through eternity until we receive it right here where we're at. Can I just tell you, moms and dads, don't give up praying for your kids can I tell you that, that those simple acts of obedience, those simple acts of saying, no, you're not going to go out until 2 a.m., or those simple acts of, of, of turning off the screen, those simple acts that, that say, you know what, we're going to limit how much the culture determines what our family is going to be defined by. We're going to put limits on that. Oh, that's an unpopular place to be, mom and dad. I understand where you're coming from. Oh, if your kids don't do that yet, get ready, honey. Teenage years are coming. That'll get you praying. Some of y'all been saying my prayer life's a little slack. Yeah, they're about to turn 13. Your prayer life will be in tune, baby. I had this thought while I was talking about children and eternity and inheritance, and some of y'all were saying y'all may not make it into the inheritance one way or another. You know, I might, you, might, you might slide out a little early. I don't know. And... Uh, <laughs> Here's, here's the reality. Ab Abram understood that he couldn't hang on to his past and have what the voice was telling him he could have. 
you know? And, and so he understood that he was going to have to leave some things behind. What does it mean to leave things in your world? Let me just hit just a few bullet points. Ingrained habits of destruction. Some of you and I, you know, our families came up and we were known by things that, that it wasn't good to be known by. That your family, my family, we had reputations for things that are a little, make you blush today. You say, oh yeah, this is what my family did every Friday night, every Saturday night, this is what they did. Some of you grew up in homes that the only time you heard the word Jesus Christ was when mom was talking to you. Or dad was talking, you thought that was your name. You know, and, and, and you know, there were, there was, it was curse words. There was blasphemy of God. There was abuse in the home. You just thought everybody had that that way. You didn't realize till later that it was destructive. And there are ingrained destructive habits that happen. And you grew up with them and you said, well, that's what made me what I am today. Yeah, but it also cost you something. And you don't want to be defined by that, nor do you want to be defined by saying, I'm not going to be that alcoholic. I'm not going to be that passive dad. I'm not because I grew up with that. Well, okay. But you just define yourself by what you're not, not what you are. I want to be defined by my Father in heaven. I want to hear what he has to say about me. I want to hear what his words are. I want to hear his thoughts toward me, not what I am going to do or not going to do based on my family of origin. Are you tracking with me today? Ingrained habits of destruction. Family attitudes or ways of thinking hindering your well-being. Conversations keeping you locked into a downward spiral. Unforgiveness or grudges related to the past. Manipulative family members or family ties. Thought processes keeping you anchored to a poisonous past. Sometimes we don't think about those things until we have our kids and our kids come along and then we say, well, I'm not going to go over to aunt so-and-so's. I'm not going to hang out with uncle so-and-so. Why? Because I've got kids. And you know what? You're doing the right thing. Because when people are toxic, you don't have to be there. Let me just give you permission. You don't have to be there. You say, well, everybody's got rights. Everybody's got rights, but only you have the responsibility to raise your children before the Lord. And the government can't tell you how to raise your kids. In fact, don't let them. Because you have a responsibility as a parent. We must obey God rather than man. And if our world says, you know, in this permissive environment that anything goes, you better consult your Bible because not everything goes. And, you know, the word says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And the way they were telling you to raise kids 30 years ago flip-flopped five times between 30 years ago and now. But God's word is still sure. Right? God's word is still sure. So here's the thing. What, what's required for you to go when you don't know where you're headed? Um, you know, you, with every GPS, you have to have two locations, right? It's got to figure out where you're at. And then you got to put in your address, where we are going. We are going here today. And, and so, you, you know, how do you get there if you don't have an end address? God didn't tell Abram, now, Abram, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you over a couple of mountain ranges, and you're going to go down, and I'm going I'm to show you uh, the, I'm going to show you the Dead Sea. I'm going to show you the Red Sea. I'm going to show you. He didn't do that. He said, leave, go, and I'll show you. 
leave, go. There was no GPS. What there was, was not a destination in mind, but a guide. God says, I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to show you everything you need to know. I'm going to give you what you need. A lot of people look at the Bible and they say, well, all I need is a plan, and I'll take it from there. What you need is the person that the Bible describes. What you need is to be led by the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I do that? That sounds kind of woo-woo, Pastor Ken. How do I do that? What's that about? Well, I got some good news for you. Back in the day, before there were cell phones that told you who you were not going to answer the phone when they, when they call. Before caller ID, there were these things called rotary phones. Dating myself here. That's right, party line. If you know, it, the, the party line means something different today than it did back then, right? But here's, here's what you had to do. You had to have voice recognition built into your noggin. You know what I'm talking about? You pick up the phone, and as soon as you say hello, and as soon as somebody says the first word, what did you figure out? You knew who it was. If you'd talked to them before, you got used to hearing their voice. And if it was mom, you heard mom. If it was dad, you heard dad. If it was sister, you want to hang up. No, just joking. And, uh, and uh, healing in the memories, Jesus. No. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm joking. I have a wonderful sister named Lisa, and uh, she's amazing. And so, but I, I recognize her voice just as soon as she says the first words. You see, when you want to get to know the voice of the Holy Spirit, you just need to start reading this book. And when you read the word of God, because the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures, you learn the tone of his voice. You learn what he has to say. You won't understand everything in this book. I don't understand everything in this book. But what I do know is this book tells me about a living God who's good, tells me about a Jesus Christ who is the way to salvation, tells me about a a relationship I can have with a person of the Holy Spirit, that if I'll get to know this book, I'll get to know his voice. And then in moments when I'm not sure what decision to make, the same voice that, that read, I will be with you, or that wrote, I will be with you, I will comfort you, that voice resonates in my spirit in a moment when I don't know what to do, but I hear his voice. Okay, he's with me right now. You learn to hear his voice. Can I tell you that your brain is not saved? Now, some of y'all already knew that. Because your wife told you. But... (laughs) Come on, that's funny, isn't it? I had a student one time who said it this way. He said, I never heard the audible voice of God. And then I got married. <laughs> the, the, showing, the showing happens in the going. Abram never would have seen the land if he didn't leave where he was in the past to go where he was going. And God says, I will show you. You sure you're with me, God? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, I'll show you. What am I supposed to see, God? And you begin to walk that out. You begin to live that out. Some of you, when our kids are born, we're, we're, we're dreaming about what they're going to be. We're dreaming what they're like. We're dreaming about uh, what can happen with their life, all of those kind of things. But can I tell you, the Bible says in Psalm 130, that all of their days were written before the ever one ever came to pass, that God has thousands of thoughts toward them. 
Psalm 139, read it sometime. He has thoughts toward them. But you know what the reality is? You as a parent can begin to hem them in in prayer. And this is exactly what Abraham did. Now, I don't want to freak you guys out, but I'm going to take a walk around this room, okay? Don't, don't panic. But I want you to get a visual. God says to Abraham, leave your country and your father's house and go to the land I will show you. And so he begins to walk, and as he begins to walk, God is showing him the perimeter of the promised land that his children are going to inherit over 500 years after. And Abram goes out there, and they don't even, his kids don't even have names. They're just called offspring. <laughs> so he begins walking, and he's marking out the land as he goes, and he's, he's creating this perimeter around his children, around this land, before the children were ever born, before he even has a son, before he and Sarai had the whole uh, you know, thing worked out about, I mean, he's 75 years old, and he's going without knowing, but God says, mark out the land. Mark out the land. Walk through it. Walk through that perimeter. Dream with me, God is saying. Dream with me. Let me show you what I see for your kids. Let me show you what's available for your kids. And he walks through the entire promised land. And Abraham goes down and he goes to this place and he reaches a certain place. And God has spoken into his life. He says, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And what does Abraham do? I told you I was going to slip. What does Abraham do? He makes an altar there to God. He takes some stones and he sets stones up on one another. He pours oil on the stones and he pronounces, he gives it a name, Bethel, house of God. He encounters God on behalf of his family and he claims his family for God. He claims the land for the kids, the land for the kids. He took seriously the promise that God himself said, who said, I will. See, you couldn't twist God's arm. You couldn't make God do what you wanted God to do. But when God comes and says, Abram, I will do this for you. I will give you land and I will give your offspring, the, you know, this land and they're going to inherit it. And then I will bless you and I will make your name great and all nations of the world will be blessed because of you. I will do it. Do you see that Abram's not burdened by what he has to do? He just simply walks out the thing God says he will do. God was looking for somebody that he could get an agreement with, that would bring themselves into agreement with what God said. And so in order to inherit that promise, Abram had to leave what was familiar to go and allow God to show him something. Now I want to challenge you. You have never seen the day that your children are going to see. And I may be 51, but can I tell you, I'm, I'm glad my kids are adults. Because it's harder to raise kids in this generation than it was 25 years ago when Heather was a baby. They are, they are one click away 
from a deluge of debauchery. They hold in their hands more computing power than put the first rocket on the moon. And they can access filth that is levels deep that this world had no understanding of many, many years ago. Mom and dad, that's our responsibility. And you can choose to just stick your head in the sand and say it doesn't matter. I can't do anything about it. You know, that's the world we live in. Or you can leave your country and your father's house and you can go to the land that God wants to show you. You can mark out a perimeter around your kids in prayer and you can take a hold of the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus and will never fail you. And you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, uh, these kids that you're, you're giving me, are these, are these kids going to be dysfunctional? Are these kids going to be broken? Are these kids going to be making wrong decisions? Are these kids going to be up to uh, debt in their, uh, you know, up, up through their eyeballs? Or are these kids going to be sleeping around? Are these kids going to honor God? I want my family back. And the way that you can get your family back is the same way that God got his family back. Somebody had to sacrifice. Somebody had to go to the cross. Somebody had to stand between heaven and earth. Somebody had to bring and come hold, take hold of the promise of God. It's exactly what Jesus did. He took hold of the promise of God on behalf of the world, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Somebody's going to have to sacrifice on behalf of your kids. Somebody's going to have to pray and pray that perimeter around them. Somebody's going to have to intercede and get under the burden. Listen, I, I said earlier, I know they have rights, but you have a responsibility. And you have a responsibility before God to cause them to honor the living God. Right? I'm not sure you agree with me. Here's the hard part. I want you to know the hard part right here. Here's the hard part. When you and I are formed by our culture, when our thinking is formed by our culture, it's hard to stir up holy desire on the inside to break free from it for our own selves, not to mention our kids. Usually it takes a major crisis. Usually it takes a slap in the face because something happened and you say, whoa, how did we get here? How did this happen? How did we find ourselves? Well, I, I never believed my child would, and you fill in the blank. And you find yourself in that spot, and all of a sudden you find your prayer bones. You find out that this thing does work, but you got to work it. It does work, but you got to press in and make it work. Jesus said, if you'll seek, then you'll find. What I want to help you to do in this series, we're going to close in prayer. What I want to help you to do in this series is to stir up that holy desire for the inheritance that God has promised you. And you can say, a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it's not going to come near this roof. It's not going to come near this house. I'm praying a perimeter around my kids. I believe in God for my kids. Somebody else needs to learn how to pray for theirs, but I'm going to cover mine. Yeah. Amen? I want my family back. I want my family back. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand all over this place.
all over this place. For some of you, this has been, this has been a, a plowing of the ground. I, 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 I caused you through the word to think in ways that you haven't thought before. For some of you, this was kind of a, a sowing. There's the plowing and then there's the sowing. Well, I, I heard a word and I, I feel like that's got some potential. For some of you, this is a watering. This is a watering. You've heard this before. Woo, you thought I was going to go then, didn't you? You th- this, is, this was a watering where there's something that's already stirring in your heart. And, uh, and some, of you, uh, some of you, you're moving into another phase in your life. And so now the kids are grown, but you got those grandkids. You know what? There ain't nothing better than a praying grandma and grandpa. Can I tell you that right now? I'm in the kingdom because of a praying grandma. I, I am doing what I'm doing today because I had a woman named Goldie Kyholtz that prayed for me. And, uh, and you don't stop. You don't quit. You mark them out in prayer. You get promises lined up next to their name. Get a picture and start putting promises next to that. All my children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be their peace. And you put those promises next to those kids and you cover them in prayer. It's the only way they're going to make it out. Here's a metaphor for you. I want to I want to bring you all the way through to the harvest of this thought, right? Do you remember Moses's mother? Do you remember how the Hebrew wives, uh, Hebrew midwives wouldn't uh, uh, wouldn't sacrifice Moses even though that was the that was the rule of the day? So Moses's mother bears this child. And what does she do? Can you imagine what what it was like for a mama to make a basket and to cover it in pitch and to place a baby in the Nile River. You know, that took some faith. Took some craftsmanship too, but it took some faith. You ever heard of Nile crocodiles? Our world, our world threatens family on a daily basis. Our world threatens family with the click of a mouse. Our world wants to destroy it, chew it up, spit it out, and then laugh about it along the way. That's the world we live in. But Moses' mom took this basket and she fitted it and then she made it possible for this little child, this little helpless child, she created a basket so that it could just sit there in obedience to the thing the Lord wanted to do in a foreign environment. And that's how Moses lived his entire life. When he, he was raised in Pharaoh's house, but when he was old enough, he said, you know what? I've had enough of the Pharaoh stuff. I want to honor the Lord with my life. All because here was a little mama that created a safe space around her son. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that we'd be able to picture our sons, our daughters, our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, wherever we find ourselves. Lord, we pray over them right now. We pray the promises of God over them right now. We pray, Lord God, that their minds will be pure. We pray, Lord God, that their lives will be steadfast 
in the face of darkness. We pray, we claim them, Lord God, as, as those who are going to walk in the kingdom of light and not in the kingdom of darkness. We pray, Lord God, that when they make it to the altar to form a covenant relationship, that they would be virgins and they would be debt-free. We pray, Lord God, that they'll make right choices all the days of their lives, that they'll put no foreign substance in their body that would cause them to be addicted. Father, that you would keep them safe and you would keep them free from all harm, Lord God. We, we cover them in prayer. We create a safe space in prayer for them right now in Jesus' name. We know this world is a difficult place, but you are able to keep us from falling and you are able to keep them in the name of Jesus, Lord. Teach us, teach us in the next seven weeks. Teach us to, to, uh, to keep our families in prayer. Teach us, Lord God, to create a safe, a safe place for them in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. It's every head bowed, every eyes closed. In just a minute, we're gonna go to an altar time where if you need prayer about anything this week, if you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer for a job, if you need prayer for your, your marriage, whatever it is. In fact, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to step out from where you're at and just line up. But everybody else, if you're not one of the prayer partners, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you have never, ever said yes to Jesus, never made Jesus Lord of your life, never given him 100%, would you just slip up your hand right now? We just want to agree with you in prayer. God has made this so easy. He's made this so easy. Amen. I see your hands. You've never given Jesus 100%. There are three back there. Others this morning. Never given your whole life to Jesus. Can I just tell you, you're missing out on the greatest love that you could ever experience. The greatest peace that you could ever know. The good news is you don't have to lose out any longer. You can respond to him today. I want you to pray this out loud with me, those three of you that raise your hand, but afterwards I want to greet you down here if you'll just take a moment of your time. We'll make sure we get you out there for the cookout. But let's all pray this together out loud. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Jesus, you fulfilled the Father's heart. He said, I want my family back. Jesus, you made the way so that we could come to God. So Jesus, I come to you today with humility in my heart, thanking you that your blood paid for my sin. And I believe, God, that the Father raised you from the dead so that I could be saved. Come into my heart and save me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The last couple of minutes, if you will, if you need prayer for anything, just step out from where you're at and come down. These folks are uh, willing to pray with you this morning. You want to pray about your week. You want to pray over your kids. Um, you want to pray for your marriage. Whatever you'd like to do, we're here to pray with you in agreement. I will say that we have uh, we have uh, room for another five or ten guys in the power of a praying husband that we started this past Thursday. Um, I limited it only because I had uh, a, a need for leaders around the table, but we have room. I have a couple other leaders that stepped up, so if you're willing, if you want to come out, we can catch you up. We've only had one week. And uh, so if you'd like to be a part of The Power of a Praying Husband, there's a couple of books for sale back there at the bookstore or just show up in here on uh, Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We'll be here for you. Praise God.
praise God. Let's just take a minute uh, as these are praying here, um, and then we're going to head out together. Father, just thank you, Lord God, so much for ministering right now around these altars. We pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God. You, Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful that your word says that a, a, a bruised reed you would not break and a smoking flax you would not snuff out. Lord, I thank you that your heart is tender and compassionate toward your people. And Lord, as we come to you today, Lord God, there's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing impossible with you. You are able, Lord God, to do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine and you're just looking for us to come to you in prayer today Lord I thank you for these that are coming right now in Jesus name thank you for drawing us into your presence Lord God in the name of Jesus right now thank you Lord for your touch today your ministry today right now in Jesus name thank you Lord thank you Lord praise you Father go ahead sing it out I just want to be near your heart Cause there is nothing like your love Lines up so well with what we talked about this morning, right? Jesus, nothing like your love Lord, we'll go wherever you send us I just want to be where you are I just want to be near your heart there is nothing like your love Jesus, nothing like your love I just want to be I just want to be where you are I just want to be near your heart There is nothing like your love Jesus, nothing like your Thank love. You. Thank you, Lord. I Thank can't you. get enough. I can't get enough. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. I can't get enough. Hallelujah. Your amazing love. Praise you, God. Oh, I can't get enough. I can't walk away No, I can't walk away For I have seen your face No, I can't walk away I just want to be where you are I just want to be where you Thank you for meeting with us this morning. Lord, I pray your blessing on our time together around the cookout, that we'd encourage one another, love one another, Lord God, and strengthen each and every life. We pray your blessing on the food, blessing on the fellowship, and blessing on our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. We'll see you out at the cookout shortly.